top of the morning to you. I am Pastor Ransom Kent, and I am so glad that you've joined us here at Grace Presbyterian Church. Uh, we are continuing through a series on First and Second Kings this summer, and so we find ourselves this morning looking at First Kings 18. We're going to be covering the whole chapter for the sermon this morning, but as a uh, a way to save a little bit of time, I'll be reading a representative passage from verses 17 through 21. As always, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, so please feel free to follow along as I read this portion of Scripture to you. Again, starting in verse 17 of 1 Kings 18. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. And now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people did not answer him a word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. God, I thank You for Your Word. Here in the Old Testament, I pray this morning, God, that You uh, would be... Uh, uh, raised up and glorified, that your name would be made great through the word of this sermon. I pray, God, that you would open our ears but, and also our hearts, uh, that we would hear what you have for us this morning. We pray, again, for your renown in the world and for the hearing of your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, 1 Kings 18, verse 1 we find, that Elijah has been sent by God to end the drought. That's what's happening here. So the, the drought that's been going for now three years, no dew, no moisture, nothing. It's been dry. It's, it, God is going to end the drought. Now, if he were to just send rain, uh, there's consensus amongst the, the scholars studying these passages, writing commentaries, that if God had just ended and sent rain, the people of Israel... Uh, would have believed that Baal w was victorious. Uh, so there was something happening here that, that uh, caused the Israelites to have this kind of natural bent towards, towards Baal at the time. And so if rain had just come, uh, they would have thought, you know, Baal finally woke up. That's the teaching of, of Baal worship, is that at times Baal would sleep or go on a journey or whatever. And so when he re would return is when fertility of the ground would return as well. And so um, uh, God had to make a spectacle. God had to show in this very public and very obvious way that again, He was the living God. And that's where we get this famous showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. We'll go through that uh, today uh, through this sermon. <clears throat> but in this passage, 1 Kings 18, in this passage, God and the author has his eyes on something very specific. God desires faithfulness. Faithfulness from His people. God wants His people to know Him, to trust Him, and obey Him. And in some sense, Elijah really is the kind of personification of this faithful uh, obedience. Uh, but that's the thread we're going to pull this morning. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Uh, 
there are three kind of characters or groups of characters that I want to look at. I want to look at Obadiah. Uh, he's in the first section of chapter 18 in 1 Kings. I want to look at Ahab and Elijah, their face-off. And then I want to look at Israel, the group of the Israelites. And, so, and, and, and through that, we're going to look at, again, faithfulness. So first, let's talk about Obadiah. Obadiah, if you're going to classify him by his faithfulness, Obadiah is faithfully faithful. Okay, He is faithfully faithful. It says in verse 3 of chapter 18 in 1 Kings that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And so if you want to put that in different words, Obadiah revered the Lord exceedingly, meaning he, he really did truly worship God. He really did truly believe that God was the living God and he served Him and worshiped Him. And in his own words, in verse 12, he mentions to Elijah that he has feared Yahweh from his youth. And so he is a faithful follower of God. He is faithfully faithful. Now, just for those of you who might be wondering, this Obadiah is not the same Obadiah as the prophet. Their name means the same thing, servant of Yahweh. But this is a different character from the Bible. So, uh, let me just mention this. Here we have Obadiah, a faithful man of God, and he is working for and serving a very unfaithful one. We're going to talk about Ahab next, but you have to understand that the employer, the person that, that has uh, Obadiah overseeing his, managing his household, is, is completely unfaithful to God. And so Obadiah, a faithful God follower, working for, serving an unfaithful non-God follower. And so I think uh, it's, it's good to see how he, he does this. In, in some ways, if you look at verse 4 of this chapter, he, he does this in some subver, subversive ways. You see that uh, at one point, Ahab and Jezebel, again, they brought in the official state religion of Israel as worship of Baal. At one point, uh, Jezebel uh, decides to ask her husband to uh, basically pass a law to eradicate Yahwist. Yahwist are the people who are faithful to God, specifically the priests of Yahweh, those who refuse to relent and worship Baal. And so they're going through the country slaughtering the priests of God. And what does Obadiah do? Obadiah, again, working for King Ahab, he takes and hides 100 prophets of God. 50 in, 50 50 in this cave, 50 in that cave. So he hides them. He preserves their life. And so it's interesting to see how in this case, inaction on Obadiah's part would have been injustice. He acts on behalf of God counter to the desires of his employer, of his king. And, in, and as he is mentioned <clears throat> here in 1 Kings, he is lauded, he is celebrated for disobeying the law of the land to preserve God's justice. It's fascinating. It's interesting for us to note. But he also does things obediently. He's not only serving in this subversive way, he's obedient. In other ways, the next verse shows that, that King Ahab is concerned. It's ironic. What is he concerned about? He's concerned about saving the animals from the drought. And so while he is, he is hell-bent on eradicating the priests of God, killing human life, Ahab is concerned that they're going to lose animals because of the drought. And so he and Obadiah part ways. They go two separate ways, and they're looking for grass and for water to feed the animals of the kingdom. And so he is serving in this high place, in this high position, King Ahab, an unfaithful non-follower of God. He is, he is doing his day-to-day -day job. And, 
And while he is out there doing that, he encounters Elijah. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I think it's good to see that here, Obadiah sets forth some principles, sets forth a precedence that can be followed by us as modern people. In one way or another, all of us who are listening to this sermon this morning, we live in two worlds. We live a life in two worlds. One, a faithful follower of God, and another, either employed or, or living out in the world. In the world. We live the life of Obadiah. And I think it's great to see Obadiah as an example of faithful, a faithful Christian working uh, in the world for God. He's working out in the world. He's obviously a good worker. He's a manager of a household for the king. And yet he somehow navigates the world without compromising his standards or disobeying God's Word. I think it's a great picture for us to realize we don't have to live this monastic, separated life in order to serve God fully. No, we can serve God in everything and every, everywhere we go. In fact, I would say, understand what I'm saying here, faithfulness to God is the best career advancement plan. Okay, I'm not saying it's going to make you rich and you get every promotion. What I'm saying is the best way to work in the world even for someone who's unfaithful to God, is to do what God wants you to do, to obey His Word. I think, so Dale Ralph Davis commenting on Obadiah, talking about how we live in this kind of, he didn't use this word, but in an Instagram world, we're, we're meant to do these bombastic things, these incredible things in our life, make a big dent in the world. He says this, you are not called to great works, but good works, nor to flamboyant ministry, but to faithful ministry. Not to be a dashing, but a devoted servant. In other words, God doesn't say, well done, good and successful servant. It's not what God uh, uh, celebrates us for or rewards us for. No, what does God say? Well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what Obadiah represents here. Someone working in a precarious position for a man who hates God and hates Elijah, his prophet, and yet he does this work for this man in a, a way that is committed and faithful to God. That's Obadiah. Obadiah, faithfully faithful. Now, Obadiah has a major problem. A major problem. And that problem is that Ahab hates Elijah. So as Obadiah is going around looking for grass and water, stepping into his path as Elijah, this is really bad news for Obadiah. He now is face to face with the man that Ahab has put an APB out on. If you look at verse 10 in chapter 18, you see that Ob uh, excuse me, Ahab has sent messages to the surrounding kingdoms around Israel. And he has asked, is Elijah in your nation? Is Elijah in your country? And when the kings and the leaders of those nations respond back, no, he's, he makes them take an oath. Meaning, if, if that is not true, you're going to pay a price. I need to know where Elijah is. Why does Ahab have such... Uh, bitter hatred towards Elijah. The reality is, he blames Elijah for the drought. Talk about focusing on the wrong part of the story. Okay, so why is the drought happening? God sent Elijah, his prophet, to say, it will not rain because I am the living God until I send word through Elijah that it will stop. As Christians, I think we can reason to believe this ought to cause some people to think, man, God is powerful. Instead, Ahab blames Elijah for his problems. And so poor Obadiah, if you look at verses 7-14 through 14 of, of this uh, verse, 
of this, excuse me, this chapter, you'll see that Obadiah is thinking, this is really bad news. If I go back to Ahab and say, listen, I met Elijah. Come see Elijah. And the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord takes Elijah somewhere else. I'm in huge trouble. I will be killed by my master. And so he has fear. This faithfully faithful man has fear. Now eventually, Elijah, by God's word, convinces him to go and report. He says, as the Lord of hosts lives, I will be here when you get back. And so this promise of, of the salvation of his own life and the certainty of God's word gives Obadiah courage to go and get Ahab. And so he brings Ahab. And we get this face-off between Ahab and Elijah. That's where we begin reading here in verse 17. If we're going to categorize Ahab uh, in this uh, kind of uh, continuum of faithfulness, I would say that Ahab, as you saw by the name of this sermon, is faithfully unfaithful. Okay? He is faithfully un- he is committed wholly to not being faithful to Yahweh, to God. And so he... In a sense, in this passage, Ahab represents a different kind of faithfulness. It says here in verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Is it you, you troubler of Israel? This statement reveals Ahab's value system. What is Ahab committed to be faithful to? His plans. His way of thinking. His way of doing things. That's why this word troubler is so important. It means entangler, bringer of disorder. What he's saying to Elijah is, if it weren't for you, Israel would be just fine. If it weren't for you in this drought nonsense, everything that I had set out to do would be working perfectly. You have troubled Israel, Elijah. That's, that reveals Ahab's faithfulness. It's to his plans, his will. His thinking. He wants things to be the way He wants them. He's faithful to His plans. The response is potent. Look at verse 18. Elijah says, I have not troubled Israel. Meaning, I've not brought this disorder. You have. Your Father's house. Because you have what? Abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Here's a really quick nugget of truth for us. Real trouble. Real trouble in our lives comes not from the disorder of our own plans. (laughs) Not because our plans aren't working out. Not because things are standing in the way of the way we think things ought to be. That's not trouble. What is real trouble? Real trouble is disobedience to God's Word. When we disobey God's Word, the end result, whatever that looks like, is real trouble. And so we see here that Ahab and his commitment to himself and his commitment to his agenda is refusing to follow God, refusing to be faithful to God. But I want us also to notice there is another faithfulness at play in Ahab's life. And it's the very fact that Elijah is confronting him right here, right now. This is a faithfulness in his life. It is the faithfulness of God to Ahab. You see, even though Ahab refuses to believe. He refuses to bend his knee. He refuses to be faithful to God. What does God do? God faithfully, over and over and over again, shows himself to be the living God to Ahab. He proves the truth to Ahab again and again and again. 
And so while Ahab is faithfully unfaithful, what is God to Ahab? Faithful. Over and over and over again through the truth sent to him through Elijah. As a quick application, we'll, we'll apply this a little more thoroughly later, but I want us to hear this right here, right now. This shows us, church, that the gospel is to be offered freely to all people. Do you understand? The gospel is to be offered freely to all people. In my personal study, I've been in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I, we're going to be uh, preaching. I'm going to be preaching through that uh, in this fall. But personally, the Sermon on the Mount is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's very complex. If it had, it, oh, I always learn something new. It always reveals my sin. It always shows God's grace. It's a fantastic passage of Scripture. And one of the verses in the Sermon on the Mount, I think is probably either, <clears throat> I think it may be both of these things, probably the most quoted Scripture by the world and the most misquoted Scripture by everybody, okay? And it is Matthew 7.1. <clears throat> Judge not that you not be judged. There's a lot of different ways you can misinterpret this verse. But the thing I want to focus on this morning is this. I wrote in my notes, in my journal, as I was studying this passage this, this time through, we should not arrive at a conclusion of another's guilt before God. And, and what I'm driving at here is this. To withhold the Gospel from someone, to withhold the truth of the Gospel, is to act as if that person is condemned already. To, to not tell them the truth is to act as if we know that the Gospel couldn't make any difference in their life. That the Gospel couldn't land in their heart and plant a seed and grow and flourish and change who they are and what they believe. And so to withhold the Gospel is the most condemning act that we can commit. And here, with Ahab, over and over again, God offers His merciful truth even to the faithfully unfaithful. That's God's faithfulness. He's faithful to do that. And you see, Elijah, what he doesn't do, he doesn't try to maneuver Ahab into seeing how God could benefit his practical life. You see, Elijah's not interested in that. Elijah is simply interested in showing Ahab who God is, the living God, and letting God's Spirit do the convicting. So we've seen Obadiah, he is faithfully faithful. We've seen Ahab, faithfully unfaithful. And now we come to the Israelites. If you're going to classify them, I'd classify them in the category of unfaithfully faithful. Okay? Um, I love verse 21. I love verse 21. Here... Elijah calls the, the leaders. Likely it's not the entire nation of Israel. It's likely their representation, their elders, their tribal leaders. And they are there. <clears throat> and he asks them a question. Let's take a look at verse 21. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you go limping? You see, Israel wouldn't commit either to Yahweh or Baal being true God. Um, <clears throat> this phrase... Uh, limping between means to pass by or pass between. Uh, the, I, I think the visual there is you're using two crutches and you're not really going to commit to either one. You're kind of hobbling back and forth. This is the ancient Hebrew version of sitting on the fence. They're sitting on the fence. They're, they're not making a commitment. And so when they say, is Yahweh God or is Baal God? 
their answer is kind of a, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> um, and so they are very non-committal about who is the more powerful God. But as I mentioned before, uh, they are likely predisposed to go with Baal. And so, uh, from the Gospel Transformation Study Bible, one of my favorite personal study tools, it says this about their reaction. It appears that their concerns related to the famine and their persistence in idolatry had hardened their hearts to the reality that Yahweh alone was God. And so they're there at this event at Mount Carmel, and they're saying, we're going to see how this pans out. And so even when he confronts them, if the Lord is God, follow Him. And if Baal is God, follow Him. What do they do? They just kind of clam up. They don't have anything to say. The people did not answer him a word. Kind of just responding, okay? Geez, Elijah, back off. And so what happens next? This is probably one of the more uh, prevalent flanograph stories stuck out in my mind from Children's Church back in the day uh, in the basement of the church that I went to as a child. And I remember hearing about this story, Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. And so this story is epic. It's an extreme passage of Scripture. What we see here from Elijah and God is elite showmanship. God is going to leave no question from anyone in attendance who is the living God. And so the basic premise here, kind of like a game show, is each team will get a cow or a bull. Each team will build an altar. The first one to call down fire from heaven will be our champion. Do you understand the rules? That's, that's what's going to happen here. They're going to have a showdown, a face-off. And, and what happens here, and it's honestly worth a detailed read later. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty. It's a fascinating story with lots of nooks and crannies. I recommend reading verse 20 all the way through verse 40 of this chapter later on. But here, here's, a, here's a summary. First of all, Elijah uh, gives the, the, the prophets of Baal first choice. Pick the bull you want. And then after that, he gives them a several-hour head start. They, they cut up the bowl, they build their altar, and he sits back. And what does he do? He mocks them. What does he say at one point? Uh, again, the idea that, that it's not raining because Baal is sleeping. He's sitting back. They're doing all these things. And he says, he mocked them saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. He, he's, he's totally burning them. Okay, And so, what happens? They cut themselves open. It says they were gushing blood. They do traditional Baal worship dances. They fall into these strange spiritual trances. It's a hot mess. It's a hot mess. And what happens after several hours? Elijah begins to build his altar. He takes 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and he builds his altar. He, he cuts up his bull and he lays it on the altar. And not only that, during a drought, nonetheless, he has the Israelites bring bucket after bucket after bucket of water, and they douse his altar. They douse the sacrifice. It's soaked. In fact, it says he dug a moat around the altar and filled that even with water. And so he is making sure, again, that, that there is no question who is the living God. And then Elijah prays this prayer. 1 Kings 18.37 Answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that o, you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Do you hear, again, what's the focus of God in the Scripture? What's the focus of God in this extreme 
showmanship event. It's the heart of the people. He wants the hearts of His people. He wants their faithfulness. Then it says in the following verses, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed, listen to all these things, the burnt offerings, the, the bull is gone, and the wood, the wood is gone, and the stones. This is such hot fire, the stones are, are, are turned to dust, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench around the altar. And all the people saw it, and what did they say? They fell on their faces and said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Elijah wins the day. And what did he win? What was the prize? He had the task of taking the prophets of Baal down by the river and slaughtering all 450 of them. What a prize. (laughs) But listen, that's part of the story too. Remember, God, through the, the subtle and quiet faithfulness of Obadiah, saved a hundred of his prophets. Baal, the dead, or slumbering, or whatever, God, the one that doesn't exist, could not spare a single one of his prophets that day. And so, through this spectacle, through this uh, show of power, what happened? At least for that day, God won the hearts of the people. He gained their faithfulness back. And so faithfulness is present in each of the scenarios we just talked about. Faithfulness is present, whether uh, it is from the person or from God. But look at this. There is one thread that that carries through all of it. Look at this. Uh, Where does the faithfulness come from? Constantly, there is a show of faithfulness from one character. And so what caused Obadiah to overcome his fear and report to Ahab? It was the faithfulness of God's Word to him. It says in uh, verses 15 and 16, And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. You see, this idea, this is the first time this Lord of hosts language shows up in Kings. And what it's saying is listen, God is a God of order, God is the true king, God is the king over the universe. Stop fearing this king with fake power and fear the God with real power. It points Obadiah to the thing he already believed. It reminded Obadiah of the ability of God to save him. The ability and the power of God to be true in his promises. And so it's the the faithfulness of God that, that causes Obadiah to act. Following on to Ahab and Elijah, we've already talked about this in brief, but what did Ahab Reject. He rejected the faithfulness of God. After this happens, after this spectacle happens, Elijah begins to pray for rain, and, and God seven times sends him to the top of the mountain and says, look out to the sea. And the seventh time, there's this little tiny cloud that appears. And he says, behold, uh, excuse me, and he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black, with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Think about this. There's not been a drop of moisture in this land for three years. I think about what I would have done as King Ahab. I think I would have just rolled around and played in the rain. It would have been such a relief. And yet, what does he do? He runs home. and Imagine this scene from 1 Kings 19, the first verse. 
Imagine the scene. He's at his palace in Jezreel. It's pouring outside for the first time in three years. And what does he do? He tells Jezebel, hey, guess what Elijah did today? He slaughtered all of your prophets. He goes home and tattles. Once again, revealing that Ahab is only faithful to himself. And yet, even though, even though Ahab rejects and rejects and rejects the message, God is faithful to continue and, and show and prove and tell Ahab who he is. And in the third scenario, what caused the hearts of the people to once again become faithful to the living God? God's faithful demonstration of His power, provision, and care. So here's, what, here's the faithfulness I want you to focus on. In all of this, what is the takeaway? What is the takeaway? What's the thing that we can hold on to and know is true? Here it is. In every circumstance, this applies to this passage and today, in every circumstance for every person, God is faithful first. God is faithful first. And in return of His gracious faithfulness to humankind, it demands a response. It demands a response. And so God, as He acts with faithfulness, what does He desire? He desires our, our faithfulness in return. He wants people to see how gracious and giving He is and turn and, and, and bow and trust and know and obey Him. As we look at this passage, I think we can look at God's faithfulness to these people and the response that He desires, and I think we can apply that directly to our lives. Let's take a look one more time through, through these three sets of characters. Obadiah, God was faithful to him in the day-to-day. Obadiah is going about his work. He's going about his job. And he is called to an obedient task. And what is God's faithfulness in that? He's worried. He's scared. And God says, here is my word. In the same way, we have God's faithfulness. God has given us His word. He tells us about Himself. Everything we need to know. He tells us what He desires from us. There is not a lack of clarity in what God wants from us. That's God's faithfulness. In addition to that, just like Obadiah, Obadiah was confident in the salvation of the Lord. We have the salvation of Jesus Christ. Listen to Romans 5.8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. This is the epitome of God being faithful first. We had no ability to be faithful back. And in that moment, while we were still sinners, God became a man and lived a life and died an unjust death and then rose from the grave defeating our sin and giving us an opportunity to be reclaimed as His children. That's God's first faithfulness. And so what's our faithful response? In the day-to-day, God wants us simply to obey His Word and trust in His salvation. That's our response. To trust it. To know it. To obey it. I think... There's this really fascinating application as we look at the interaction between Ahab and Elijah. So first of all, we've mentioned this briefly already, but God is faithful to the faithfully unfaithful. Say that ten times fast. God is faithful to the faithfully unfaithful in what ways? 
through creation. We talked about this last week. When you look out that window, you look at that tree or that leaf or that blade of grass or that bird or that butterfly or whatever, that is God declaring faithfully to the world there is a God. He is creator. He is good. He is powerful. That's God's faithfulness, even to those who don't believe. But there's more than that. There's more than that. God has given the whole world access to saving truth. In this book called the Bible, the best-selling book of all time, in this book, in almost every language on earth, is the message that we were created to be with God. And yet sin separated us from that. It took that connection away. And there's only one way to repair it. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's in here. And it's clear. And so if you're out there this morning and you have not believed that message, I want to tell you, first of all, there's no secret membership you have to pay. No membership fee you have to pay to get this message. There's no, some, there's no expensive conference you have to go to to get the secret knowledge. It's right here at your fingertips. And if you can't see it, if you want help guide, pulling the message out of Scripture, my email address is ransom at gracepresarp.org. I'd love nothing more than to walk through the Scriptures to show you how clearly God has spelled out salvation for anyone who would want it. That's God's faithfulness. And then I think about Elijah. Elijah kept going back. His life was imminently in danger from the hatred and bitterness of Jezebel. Jezebel wanted him dead. Ahab, in turn, wanted him dead. And what did Elijah do? He continually went back and shared the good news that God was a living God. And that God wanted the repentance and the faithfulness of every person, including Ahab. And I think about that, and I, and I think about our, our, our response to the fact that God continually, faithfully shares who He is with the entire world. There's a couple things here. One, we are not to orchestrate outcomes. We're not to worry about that, whether they accept or reject the message. What are we to do? We're to share the word of truth with all people and let the Spirit do the convicting, just like Elijah. We're to bring the obedient message of Christ to everyone. And so what is our calling? What's our response? Our response to God's faithfulness to even the, the faithfully unfaithful is our unprejudiced and widespread sharing of gospel truth. Unprejudiced and, and widespread sharing of gospel truth. Now, a little side note. I am a pro proponent of relational evangelism. I feel like it is the best way to reach people's hearts with the gospel, to know them as a person, to, to speak the gospel into their lives as it's appropriate. But at times, relational evangelism can, can rob us of courage to share the truth. Relational evangelism, the idea of it, it sometimes can become an idol and it robs us of the courage to share the truth. So, if we are in a relationship with someone who is not a Christian, and suddenly the, the relationship overrides the importance of sharing the gospel truth, I think we've missed something. And, and I, I thought about this a lot this week. I was wondering if I should say anything, but I believe this next statement needs to be declared. 
to myself, to everyone out there. And for those of you that may have a, an issue with what I'm about to say, I would, I would strongly encourage you to, to study Matthew 10, 34-39. Matthew 10, 34-39. Here's the declaration I have and our response to God's faithfulness to Ahab and sharing the truth and Elijah's consistently going back. Church, Christian, we need to be willing to become enemies with our friends for the sake of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be willing to become enemies with our friends for the sake of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. One commentator speaking on Matthew 10, those verses I mentioned earlier, 34-39, through says, hostility against Christians results not from their making themselves obnoxious, <laughs> which we are really great at, by the way, but from the sad fact that sometimes the Gospel so alienates unbelievers that they lash out against those who would love them for Christ's sake. Remember, the most condemning thing we can do is withhold Gospel truth from someone. And so what is the remedy to this moment that happens to all of us where the relationship overrides our courage to share the truth? We have to remember God's faithfulness to Ahab and to Obadiah and to Elijah. God is faithful not just to His people to give them courage and the truth and tell them clearly what they ought to say and do, but He's also faithful to bring messages to pagans People who do not believe, who have no plans on believing. And guess what God can do? Change their heart. May we see more of that in the body of Christ. The last applications as we look at the people of Israel. Listen, every one of us should resonate with the Israelites in that we are predisposed in our sinfulness, predisposed to serve the other thing, whatever it is. And so at times in our life when we have to choose between worshiping God holy or worshiping this other thing, serving this other thing, we tend to like to sit on the fence and see how things pan out. But here's the reality. Israel was God's people. He had taken them out of Egypt. He had saved them from slavery. He had pulled them from the kingdom of, of, of paganism and put them in another kingdom of their own. He was their king. And in the same way, God has, for us Christians, breathed life into our heart. He's planted that seed of faith. We, we by His faithfulness, have proclaimed belief. We don't save ourselves by thinking and understanding and following a line of reasoning. No, God wakes us up and in His faithfulness, gives us faith. And so, what's our response to that? What ought it be? Listen, church, we cannot call Jesus Savior and not simultaneously call Him Lord. You cannot, as an Israelite, call yourself an Israelite, a son of God, and wonder if Baal is really the real deal. And so, our response ought to be the same as the people of Israel. And when they saw it, the fire, consuming not just the meat, not just the wood, but the stones and the water and the dust, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, His name, they're naming Him, Yahweh is the living God. He is God, divine ruler. 
He, the Lord, is God. And so our faithful response to God's faithfulness in bringing us faith is full commitment to the life God has called us to. Full commitment. Christian, our life is not our own. It's belonged to us. In fact, we're committed to serve God in faithful, single-minded allegiance in every aspect of our lives. Not just some, every aspect. In our parenting, and, and how we treat our spouse, and, and how we are at work, and the things we watch, the things we listen to, the things we eat, the things, the, the, the car we drive, the places we go. Like Every single part of our life needs to be guided by God and what He desires us to do. And our God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is the one true God, and He is faithful first. And what should that do? The fact that He is faithful first, as one scholar put it, as such, He is to be trusted, turned to, and obeyed. And listen, this isn't a burden. Obedience isn't a burden. Committing our lives to Jesus as our Savior and Lord isn't a burden. What is it? It's a privilege to serve a God who is faithful first. Let me pray it for us. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we declare and we, co- we confess. We sit on the fence. We serve You in a fickle manner. And so my prayer for myself, for my congregation, for everybody who's listening this morning, change that in us. Give us a hunger for that singular, focused following of You. That faithfulness that You desire from us. May we be faithful to You in the day-to-day. May we be faithful to You in our evangelism. May we be faithful to You in our worship. And may the foundation of our faithfulness not be earning a reward or doing it because we can or doing it because it makes us look good. May the foundation of our faithfulness be the reality, the fact, the truth of Your faithfulness first. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we existed, You chose us in Christ. Before Israel could do anything about it, You saved them from Egypt. And while they were still deciding between You and a false god Baal, You showed them how You are living and how You could provide for them. You sent rain. Lord, may we see Your faithfulness and respond in faithfulness. I pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.